Several years ago, Josh McDowell and his wife wrote a children's book, uh, the title of which and the story of which has stayed with me. It's a story called uh, The Topsy-Turvy Kingdom. And it's a wonderful little children's tale about a, a, a time and a place where in this little kingdom, things were upside down. People walked on their hands, not their feet. Uh, and all kinds of other strange things. The point of which was, you, you really, you want to be right side up, not upside down. We weren't meant to live upside down. But here's something that happens, and it's reflected in the book, and it certainly is true for us, all of us. Sometimes as we live in a world where things are upside down, where as another writer said some years ago, somebody switched the price tags. In that kind of world, it's possible even for us who know the word of God, trusting Christ as our Savior, it's possible for us to begin to think that upside down is normal. We kind of forget what right side up looks like. And so as we come today to this, this portion of Scripture ahead of us, we're, we're taking a look at God's kingdom that is, in fact, right side up, not upside down, where the values reflect God's heart instead of a lost and broken world. So we're going to come to a text. We're going to pray together in a moment. I have a number of introductory things to say about Sermon on the Mount and so on. But as always, we come to the Scripture not simply to gain information, though that's good, but by the Word of God to allow the Spirit of God to change us, to change us, to point us to Christ, to pull us close to Him, to lift up the Christ of the Gospel. So I want to pray that God would use His Word in all of our hearts today, and then we'll step into the text. So pray with me, if you would, please. Our Father, we come to your word with great joy, knowing that you know us, every one of us. You know the struggles of our hearts and our lives. You know those areas in which we find great joy, in the areas that bring deep sorrow. All of those are represented in this room. So, Father, we come to your word, whatever the text, knowing that you'll use your word by the work of the Spirit of God, to draw us to Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would do that great work even today, to open our hearts to the Christ of the gospel, to help us to see our need of him. Maybe even today, some present, who even for the first time would say, Christ, I trust you. I trust you as my Lord and Savior. Do your work here, I pray, through the word of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. On your study sheet, as always, there are a number of elements of review that will help you if you forget where we've been or you haven't been with us. Some things that I think are helpful in putting a context on a study in the book of Matthew, which is, of course, what we're pursuing this entire ministry year. Uh, under the section called Today's Text, there are just several things I, I need to take some time on. We come today to uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. This portion of the Sermon on the Mount that is typically called the Beatitudes because it says blessed are or blessed are. But, but just a couple of things. As you see three little bullet points there, I want you to know in these three bullet points, I'm synopsizing reams and reams of, of information. Entire seminary courses are written on what I'm going to say in five minutes. So if you're familiar with some of these discussions and debates, forgive me if you say, wow, that was 
kind of, yes, it was very compressed, okay? But there's a reason for all of that. Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of a five-chapter section in the book of Matthew. And it's identified by similar phrases at the end of chapter 4. I give you the text here on your study sheet. And again in chapter 9, almost word-for-word sections that kind of bracket this part, okay? In that five chapters, you will find three that are a, an introduction, if you will, to, to the teaching of Jesus. What did he say? What was his heart? How did he communicate with people? So three chapters there. Then there are about two that are a synopsis, a, 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 like a crash course in Jesus' mighty works. Some of his miracles, which are intended throughout the Gospels to, to, to support Jesus' identity as God in the flesh. That's one of the reasons. And as you'll see, we'll see today, to, to give us a, a taste, a taste of what heaven will be like, where there will be no mourning or sadness or sickness. So it's a taste of heaven. More on that in just a little bit. So I'd like us to think about that five-chapter section. It's there so that Matthew's goal, as with all the gospel writers, Matthew's goal is, is that you would believe, that you would trust this Christ this Messiah, as your Savior from sin. And he's wanting you to hear him. He's wanting you to see the works of Jesus and trust him. Now, secondly, and this may, this may give you pause, okay? But, but, but listen carefully to this, please. The Sermon on the Mount, as presented in Matthew, is likely a summary of a longer discourse. Has that occurred to you? That maybe these chapters are part of a much longer sermon, And that this is a compression of that, which means there are parts that are left out and parts that are included on purpose. Now, the fact that that is true, I'm going to suggest, uh, supported by a couple of things. In Luke chapter 6, there is also a presentation of the Sermon on the Mount, but it's much shorter. And you go, huh, what happened there? Did he forget it? Wasn't he there? Oh, well, you know what? Different purpose, different writer sharing different information. Further, John, the apostle, toward the end of the gospel of John, he says it very clearly about his gospel. He says, if, if I were to have included everything that Jesus did and said, he said, I suppose even the whole world couldn't contain it all. But these are written, the part that he's given, these are written that you'd believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And by believing you'd have life in his name. So John tells you, I'm, 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 not telling you the whole life story. I couldn't do it. I'm giving you parts. And I would suggest to you for your consideration that Matthew's probably doing the same. Now, I want to tell you why this is important. You might yawn and say, why take the time to talk about that? Here's one of the reasons. When people criticize the Bible, and they do, I don't know if you've noticed, but one of the things that they criticize, and I'm saying poorly educated criticism, really, I don't mean that I'm not insulting anybody. I'm saying it's, not, it's, it's lacking education on this point. One of the things that's often criticized is you have Matthew telling the Sermon on the Mount and then Luke telling the Sermon on the Mount and sometimes different words and different content. And you say, well, so is somebody making it up? Was somebody wrong? And I'm saying, no, no, it was a big, long sermon. Each one compressed it and shared part of it. And try this one on. This is a whole other one. Very possibly, as with other itinerant preachers, Jesus may have preached similar sermons on different occasions. I mentioned first hour, 
that on days like this, TJ sits back in that corner all morning long. He hears three of this sermon. No, really. Bring him coffee. Uh, Sympathetic for that guy. His wife's busy serving, and he sits in the corner all morning long, says hi to people, and listens listens to me. And each time, it's a little different. And first hour has things that third hour doesn't. And second hour comes out different. Now, if you said, what was it about? He might tell you, you might say, that's not what I heard. I know, because you were there third hour. I said it first hour. All right, because it isn't scripted. Um, so here are things to think about. So sometimes people say, well, they don't, they don't agree. Uh, they, he has a different phrase there. And you go, That's all right. That might have been Luke remembering the 13th time he heard that sermon and recording it for your edification. So I give you those things. All right, so uh, second bullet point. The first, of course, of five major discourses. Now, third bullet point, and oh, this is so important because a lot has been written about the Sermon on the Mount in general and the Beatitudes, but introductory stuff. Sometimes people have said the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes are for another day, another time. They're about God's kingdom. Jesus is telling us about this future kingdom, which we've identified as a real kingdom, a literal kingdom, and a kingdom that's yet to come. And people have said, this is all about life in that kingdom. It's not for today. And I beg to differ. All right? So I'm not going to get into all the reasons for that, but I'm going to say this. Yes, these things I think are values that will be fully lived out in another day and another time. But but they are for us today. They are. They're inbreaking of the kingdom of God into our lives today. And as citizens of God's kingdom, I think they do represent values that are right side up not upside down, and we do well to pay attention. So, there's my introduction. You all right with all that? If you'd like to take the college course or seminary course, you can, and uh, have at it. Well, I want to read the text. I want to read the text, and we'll step into it here together. Matthew 5, then, 1 through 12, as together we hear this portion of God's word. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, that's Jesus, and when he sat down, His disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, On my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And there is our text for the day. We'll spend the next several weeks, different preachers, of course, in my absence, but looking together at the Sermon on the Mount. Now, to understand a couple of things here, I think uh, will help us put a context. We saw at the end of chapter 4 that great crowds were coming to Jesus. There were great crowds who were ill, all kinds of diseases, and great crowds described as from a variety of places geographically, Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, 
beyond the Jordan. Oh, this is a big area from which people are coming to hear Jesus. As, it, as the section begins today, he sees the crowds, goes on the mountain, sits down, his disciples come. Now, sitting down, of course, was the posture of a rabbi. Uh, it was a posture of authority. We would say today, well, stand up and get a, you know, get a good podium. Well, no, to, to be seated was to, to speak, so to speak, with some degree of authority as others would gather to listen. So he, he assumed the posture physically of a, of a rabbi, and the crowds came. I have not been to this place. Um, people who study these things feel fairly sure uh, that they have the right place for the Sermon on the Mount, there by the Sea of Galilee, a hillside, and so on, um, figuring out the place from which Jesus spoke. Those who've been there, of course, some of you uh, and others who write about it would describe it as a natural um, a place for amplification, where with the water behind, a speaker could speak, and without uh, undue shouting could be heard by a decent crowd. So I, I think that's the setting I have on your study notes for community groups, just to, trying to picture the setting. I'm assuming, for example, it's not raining that day. How do I know that? Well, at least not a deluge. Well, there's a big crowd. They would have all gone home, wouldn't you? Of course, we're from the Northwest. If it rains heavily, we leave. So um, I just try to picture the scene. Jesus is seated takes a place of authority, disciples close to him, much of what he says directed to them with the crowd overhearing, and off he goes. Now, to understand the Beatitudes, by necessity, we need to take some time on the word blessed or blessed. Is it blessed or blessed? Whatever you like is the right answer. People say blessed or it works in song. Sometimes blessed be the name. It doesn't matter. Same thing, same word, however it works for you. Uh, blessings on you. Well, what does it mean? Some have taken the posture through the years to try to translate it in the vernacular to say, um, well, happy, happy are those. I'm not necessarily going to find fault with that, depending on what you mean by happy. Because the, the, the word that Jesus uses is, is, got, is loaded with, with meaning and it's used in all kinds of places. It's, it's never used about people who are not people of faith. It is used about people who are people of faith and is used of God himself. It is used to people who are blessed by God, uh, have his approval. Um, in its use about God, for example, Paul uses it twice of God in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, 1 Timothy 6, where he talks about God, for example, in chapter 6, the blessed and only sovereign. It's the same word. So it's, it's, it's more than, um, well... Oh boy, I don't want to just pick on this word. Sometimes we say happy and we say it in a kind of a chipper way. Like, I'm happy. Are you happy? Oh, sure, I'm happy. And if you mean it in some kind of a chipper, uh, circumstance-driven, temporary way, you're missing the point. That's not it at all. So, so blessed, now, so I've got in your study sheet, what is it not? That would be, I didn't give you any room to write it, just the way it is. That, that would be what it isn't. It isn't some chipper, circumstance-driven, I feel good today, um, my life is good, all the ducks have lined up. Because my life is good, therefore I'm happy. No, 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 that isn't it. Blessed or blessed? I have here uh, inward, I, I like this, soul level God-sourced, these are all elements of this eternal. This week, um, Matt Ritchie gave me this book, thought it would be a good resource. It's called The Sermon on the Mount and Human Flourishing, okay? The writer likes the translation flourishing for blessed or blessed. So flourishing, 
Uh, he, he traces its connection with the Hebrew term shalom, which I've spoken about a couple of times along the way. Shalom, uh, often thought of as a greeting, is, is really more properly a statement of, of wholeness and wellness. And um, we would say it is well with my soul does not necessarily mean um, my life is easy and my burden is light. You understand what I'm saying here? Um, I told Matt he's going to get his book back because uh, I, I gave you the title, but I'm not saying you should read it. This is well beyond my pay grade. And uh, wow, I got looking at this and went, I'm not reading this, but I'm going to surf the chapters. So Matt likes to read things like this. This isn't just academic. This is, uh, anyway, I, I'm give it back to give it back to Matt. But I, I, I took away from it, though, his idea of the word, uh, blessed or blessed, no, substantive. I take great, I take time to push on this because this, this blessing of which Jesus is speaking is available to you regardless of how easy your life is today. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of how chipper you feel or whether you carry a heavy load. No, that isn't it. This blessing is the favor and smile of God, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of tears, the blessing of God. The, 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 the phrase, of course, from good songs, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. That's, that's, that's the idea. If you capture that, I think you're in good stead. Uh, one other thing before I'm just going to read and comment on each of these. Second page of your sermon notes. Again, I, I, I think sometimes these structural things are helpful. They're instructive to me. But I mentioned here that the, I, I take there to be eight beatitudes. Some would take verse 11 to be an additional beatitude, thus creating nine. I see verses 11 and 12 as supportive of verse 10, illustrative of verse 10. So I take there to be eight. I also think it's interesting that the first in verse 3, and what I'm going to call the 8th in verse 10, give present tense and identical blessing. That is, for theirs is, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And all the ones in the middle reference a future blessing. Do you see the difference? They shall be, they shall be, they shall be. So the first and the 8th seem to say is, the others are future that forms, if you will, in terms of literary sense, an inclusio. It's like bookends, brackets, that would seem to be the beginning and the end of a, of a unit. So uh, perhaps those things are interesting to you as they are to me. Now, I want to read through these, and then I, I want to talk about them just a bit, okay, even at the conclusion. There are several things I want to say about them as a unit. But um, under this category, who are the blessed? How can I join them? Who are these people? Who are they? Well, I see a relationship between them rather than just simple words. So Jesus opens his mouth and he says these things. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who are these people? I want to suggest to you today, and again, there's books written on the breadth and depth of these, and I'm taking a certain tact and not giving you the necessarily the breadth. Okay? I'm going a certain route. It seems to me that the poor in spirit, most of all, are those who admit their own spiritual lostness or bankruptcy. 
those who, those who look in the mirror. Now, follow, follow with me on this. There are several points at which this is an essential detail. It isn't so much that they look at themselves in the mirror and say how awful I am. We're missing the point on this. But that we're looking at God and in contrast to his holiness and his righteousness, his eternal nature, I see myself correctly before him. And that is a place of lostness and brokenness. There are people who find fault with the Bible. And again, I, 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 <laughs> I think it's an uninformed area, and I, especially spiritually, and would say, well, you know, apparently the Bible just wants us to, you ready? Feel awful about ourselves. It, it, that is never the point of the Bible. Did you know that? That you'd feel awful. No, the point of it is that you'd be reconciled to God, your greatest need, forgiven by the one who made you because you've offended him. So it isn't about how bad you feel. Like, wow, you're really spiritual. You feel awful. I'm really feeling spiritual. I really feel. No, 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 no. We're missing it here. So recognizing our lostness, our bankruptcy before God is to recognize my own sinfulness. Will I feel bad? Well, possibly. Sure. But I'm saying the measure isn't how bad I feel or feeling awful. No, no, I see the holiness of God. And like Isaiah 6, which I think is a wonderful model, uh, where you read, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and the angels cry out, holy, holy, holy. And I said, I'm in deep trouble, mister, right? Uh, I, my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. I'm an unclean man. So his, his, his response was driven by an understanding of God. That's what I'm after, okay? It was driven by an understanding of God. So the poor in spirit are not just those with, as we would say, they have poor self-esteem. No, 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 no. But they, they see what God is like, and they see there and admit. They see and admit, you know, I'm in need of him. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in need of him. Apart from righteousness that comes from God through Christ, I have none. I'm, I'm, I'm bankrupt before a holy God, and I'm in deep need of his grace. So blessed are those, pe- those poor in spirit people, for of theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In fact, apart from that, understanding and turning to God in Christ, there is no kingdom of heaven. More on that in a few minutes. No kingdom of heaven for you. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Entrance requirement is understanding our bankruptcy before God. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn what? Well, I'm going to suggest, certainly, if these follow in progression, a mourning of their own sinfulness, true repentance, certainly. Brokenness, I'm saying, to use a common word. And, and yes, to expand a little further, to grieve the devastation of sin in our world. I think that's a part of that. This is the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, isn't it? When he talks about creation groaning and travailing, as in childbirth. The creation groans. Remember, we've spoken about this three groans and glory, and creation is groaning, as Paul describes it in Romans 8. Creation is groaning. And, and, and folks, oh my goodness sakes, this is the Christian life, is it not? Does your heart not, dare I say often, groan? When you see uh, the brokenness of the world, the upside-down nature of its values, the devastation in the lives of people separated from God, and grieving as well my own heart that tends, just tends to go upside down too, does not yours. Do do you not at times see it wrong and, and desperately need God to turn your heart right side up? 
So, so this blessing on those who mourn, yes, acknowledging their own sinfulness, brokenness, grieving the devastation of the world, and that which is in me as well. It's, it's, it's not enough to just say, boy, everybody's sure messed up. <laughs> I mean, somebody better give you a poke and say, yeah, buddy, you too, by the way. Lord love you, but hey, you're a mess too. Well, okay. Uh, the meek. Blessed are the meek. Uh, I'm suggesting that that would include those who know how to live before a holy and great God, free of malice, a vengeful spirit, the meek, the meek. You remember the bumper sticker from back in bumper sticker mania? Remember the bumper sticker days? Aren't you glad? I mean, they're still around, but not like they were. But there was a bumper sticker out some years ago that said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, if that's okay with you. Taking the meek to mean people who are weak, who are spineless, who just walk around with their hands down and say, well, kick me again. I'm meek. Not the idea. Of course, in weeks ahead, I know there's a sermon coming up in the queue um, about humility, where we're going to spend some time talking about humility. What is it? How do you know if you have it and if you don't? What's it look like? How do you recognize a humble person? Probably not in the mirror, but nonetheless, meek, <laughs> humble. I think there's a great connection between the meek, those who know how to live before a holy God. They recognize their sinfulness, the greatness of God, and it, it has an effect on their spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I put on here, certainly I think there's a personal nature of this, a longing for a righteousness they need and don't have, a righteousness that comes only from God uh, through faith in Christ, of course, his death, burial, resurrection, that righteousness, but I think ultimately a longing for heaven. Um, If you are one of those who sees the brokenness and lostness of the world, and maybe up close and personal because it's not only in you, but as you look at your own life and people you love, I think this is a longing. Stay with me on this. Oh, this is, I can't tell you how profoundly this speaks to me. Um, A longing for another day when what's broken is fixed. Do you live with that? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I find my mind often drawn to 2 Peter 3, where Peter's describing another day, a new heaven and a new earth, he says, in which righteousness dwells. And I I, I really believe that a child of God who's walking in some kind of step with the Spirit and hearing the Word of God and informed by Scripture, I think that with all of these, yes, but but here maybe I identify with it in a little uh, stronger way. A longing, a longing for the day that my heart is permanently right side up. And the world is too. I'm grateful that day's coming. I'm grateful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive, they shall obtain mercy. They, 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 they're merciful to other people because they know they've received it. Judgmental people as we'll talk about in a couple chapters, chapter 7. Who are they? What are those? Well, I'm guessing one thing is that they don't know that they've received mercy. The merciful know it, and they extend mercy 
they'll get mercy. They'll receive You get it, you receive it, you give it back to others. Blessed are the merciful. They shall receive mercy. I like that. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to suggest that that involves rejecting hypocrisy, seeking to live genuine, holy lives in grateful response to God's grace. The pure in heart. And can I just urge one point of application here? I just, again, there are moments in my life that I just I try to live fully into, even though sometimes they're difficult. But I was asked recently by somebody, um, if it's okay to tell God exactly how you feel. You ever wondered that? You know, and I part of my answer was substantive, longer substantive answer, but my brief elements included, well, I hope for one that as you speak to God that you do so in an appropriate manner. You can speak in a blasphemous way to God. Don't do that. So speak to him as to a holy God. But beyond that, speak your mind. It's okay to just say, God, um, there's no need for me to posture and pretend, but here's the truth about me now, today. Here I am. He sees it anyway, doesn't he? He knows. Struggles in your heart. Uh, There have been times in my life when it has been just so freeing to say, God, I wish I didn't have to say it like this, but here's the deal. And I need your help because I have no way out of this. You got to help me. I think you can speak like that to God. And I think Jesus has that something like that. The pure in heart, they shall see God. Those, those who speak without hypocrisy, those who speak sincerely, no cover-ups. Um, the writer to the Hebrews would say it like this. All things are, are naked. One translation, all things are laid bare before the eyes of the one to whom we must give account. He sees it anyway. So we call it out. He knows. Blessed are the peacemakers. Next. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The peacemakers, those who are bridges, I'm suggesting. They're bridges of health and healing in a broken world, hopefully within their own sphere and maybe even beyond. They're peacemakers. They seek to build peace between warring parties, between people where there's broken relationships. They, they seek to do it the right way. They seek to bring God into the equation, not just getting people to get along on the basis of nothing, but peacemakers. He says they'll be sons of God. And then that eighth one, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, where there's a cost to this, so much so that the world pushes back. And again, I suggest verses 11 and 12 uh, undergird, uh, verse 10, when people revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, he says, rejoice and be glad. There's a price to pay. There's a price to be that kind of a person. Now, there are a couple of things I want to say. That's a very, very rapid treatment. And Books are written on each of these, and and for our purposes, I knew I could not do beyond that. But I want to say a couple of things here. First of all, I want to repeat what I said earlier. Uh, I believe that these are God's right-side-up values that will characterize a coming literal kingdom and the eternal state, okay? Just giving you a couple of things, if those, what I just said, makes sense to you. But... Values that represent what you could call the kingdom of God. And you say, well, then it's for there. Well, yes, yes, fully lived out there. And yet for today as well, 
little bits and pieces breaking into this world through, through people who know and follow Christ. Little bits of righteousness. And every now and then, you know what I mean? On the news, there's a good story. You know what I mean by that? You go, wow, that was, there was a little bit of justice or a little bit of righteousness. Or it's, it's, it's a little glimpse of another day where it will all be like that, all be fixed. So I, I hope that your heart notices those little things that are good and right, those little pauses of beauty in God's world. I hope you don't get so jaded by the brokenness and difficulty that all you see are the broken pieces. No, there are little pieces, little elements of, of this world, God's right-side-up kingdom that keeps showing up. And notice them and thank God for them and seek to accomplish them through your life, I think would be God's call. If you look under response to God's word, there's an analogy I give you here, and I'm going to give you another one. that I just These things speak so profoundly to me, it's hard to, to fully express them. If you are a person who likes the beach, rather than finding the smell of salt air to be bad, if you're a person who likes the beach, you know what it's like to come close enough to the ocean where there's a bit of, of, of wind and you smell the salt air and it breathes life to your soul. Some of you just go, oh, it's the ocean. You're not going to get this analogy. For those of you who, who, who find that to be a wonderful thing, maybe you have good memories of the ocean. You've built some sandcastles in your day. You've gone clamming or something. The smell of salt air just, just kind of buoys your spirit just a bit, right? It's, it's like a, a breath of heaven. Um, similarly, one of the reasons I backpack, okay, is because there are places you can go, especially above tree line, where you hit a mountain meadow full of flowers in bloom. And at just the right moment, the breeze blows, and it, 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 it's, it's heaven itself. Okay, it's a breath of heaven. And it speaks life to your soul and hope. And, and if you're hiking with me, I'm going to go, mm-mm, shh. Because I want to live in that moment, and I want my soul to be filled with that. See? It's, 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 it's speaking hope to me that there's a place of beauty yet untainted. This, the Beatitudes should be some of that to your soul. That there is a coming day, yes there is, in which this is what life will be like. God's kingdom. Rather than saying, oh look, some justice and righteousness for a change. No, no, it'll be that. So, so this text should be, should be life-giving to your soul because you see what right side up looks like, not just upside down. And I, I hope that you are encouraged and buoyed and you're, you, you, that the hope of heaven is yours. I, I, hope, I hope it has a grip on your soul that this brokenness is not all there is. You, you hear what I'm after? A, a breath of heaven, a breath of heaven, a longing in our soul. I think that longing in our soul for that day is a work of the Spirit of God that gives us the ability to go another day here, climb a little higher, pick it up again in the morning and go, because you know that other day is coming. You sense, you, you, you feel the breath of heaven. Now, I've got to say this too. That day, that, that kingdom day, that other day, is, is for those who, who today know Christ as their Savior. See? Those who know their spiritual bankruptcy before God, and they know that they need a righteousness that they do not have, 
You need a righteousness that comes from another for you to be ready to enter God's eternal kingdom. Okay? That's why Jesus died on the cross for your sin. To pay the penalty for you that you owe a holy God. He lived a righteous life, a righteous life you have not lived, nor have I. So that as I trust Christ as my Savior, my sin placed with him on the cross and his righteousness available, his righteousness wraps around me, the one who has none, so that I can be called a child of God. See, that, that's, that's the gospel. It is. So Jesus is describing a day that I hope you'll be there for. And if you are, it's not because you deserved it because you're just so jolly good and nice. It'll, if you're there, it'll only be because you have received Christ as your Savior. He is your entrance into God's kingdom. Okay? If you want to talk further about that, uh, get a hold of me. I'd love to chat with you about that. Others here would as well. But I hope that you're there on that day. Well, there are other elements we could talk about today, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it at that. And I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and I want to pray for you. As you make your way up, I am going to ask Philip and Beverly Scheidler to come on down. We're going to cover a couple things at once. Philip and Beverly have met with the elders. They trusted, trusted Christ as their Savior in years gone by and have met with the elders to share their testimony of faith and just come on right up, boom, right here, you guys, right here, fantastic. And they're today joining the church in a formal way as members, and you should meet Philip and Beverly. But I want to pray. You guys, I'm so glad you're here as part of this church family. Um, we want to pray for them and want to pray for us, for God's work in all of us. But join me, and I'll say a word at the end here as well. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the breath of heaven that blows into our hearts and gives us hope. This world is not all there is. Thank you for this. Father, I pray for any who felt that nudge of the Spirit of God today, drawing them to faith in Christ. And Father, I pray that they would respond to that, that work of the Spirit of God, by trusting Christ as their Savior from sin. And today, maybe, would be the day they'd be born again by the Spirit of God. Whether that person is here, listening later, another time, another place, our Father, do that great work. Lord, for Philip and Beverly, thank you so much for bringing them to us. Thank you for how, you, how you've cared for them through their life, brought them to faith in Christ, and brought them here to the Fellowship of Sunset Bible Church. I pray that you'd encourage them by all of us and us by them as together we serve the purposes of God in our generation. Thank you for this morning. Care for us as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen.